0: Good morning, y'all. they singing some songs that get people in trouble. I'm a Jesus, you all I need? Like, I don't need nothing else. How I many of y'all really believe that? <laughs> that dangerous. <laughs> all right, I'm singing these deep songs because it sounds good. <laughs> That's it, man. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Proverbs we trekking along, y'all. We made it up. Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs chapter 21. Starting at verse 9. Proverbs chapter 21. Starting at verse 9. Get there, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you just for being God and just, well, all the goodness that you are and that you show towards us father god help us to never take it from granted god please help us to focus on you father god to truly devote our heart to you god to let it be real when we say god you're all i need truly let us rest in you to depend upon you god and change us and transform us to look like you in jesus name we pray amen in proverbs chapter 21 starting in verse 9 and we're moving in. We're closing in on the end of this section. And as we go, it's one I'm going to point out continuously. Point out as we go, as we progress through these proverbs, they're, they 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 becoming to be more dense because the goal is this is a training manual for a young man. And as we increase and as we go, especially once we go through the next section and come back to the proverbs of Solomon. The proverbs are going to be more and more dense, which is going to require more and more for us to meditate on them and to see the full range of application. And I'm going to point out a few as we go through in this section, starting in verse nine. It, said, it is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. It's another one of those better proverbs. The picture here, he's saying it is better if you go on your roof. And you confine yourself to the corner of it. And that be your home. Than to have a huge house. And live with a woman who loves to fight. That's deep. How many of y'all believe that? <laughs> that I can have a big mansion. And live with somebody who loves to fight. Or I can just cut off a corner of my roof. And let that be my home. And have peace. That's heavy. And this is one especially you put in your pocket for for your young men and and young single people who anticipate and think about life. You got one that love to fight, you you picking a headache. (laughs) Verse 10 said, the soul of the wicked desireth evil. His neighbor findeth no favor in his eyes. So the soul of the wicked, that's the the desires of the inside, the eternal part of the wicked. So when you got a truly wicked man, he said that the, the chief longing of his heart, is for evil he wanted to do mischief and it's the picture of that when he goes out into the world and when he interacts with people the mischievousness of his heart is what dictates how he deals with people that's all he longs for is to fulfill the wicked desires of his heart so that's why the contrast or the opposite of it that he's given here is that his neighbor those who are around him there's no real favor that comes from him. He looks to you with no graciousness because the, the, the chief desire of his heart is to fulfill the desire in his heart. We know this and we say this, like you got to watch out for so people such and such. Why? Because He don't mean you no good. He got his own desires. He got his own passions. He got what he want to do. And when he interacts with you, like I said, the old folks say, he don't mean you no good. And that's what he's saying here. His faith, his neighbor find no favor in him. There's no graciousness coming from him because the only thing he want to do is satisfy that evil that's in his own heart. Are y'all understanding? Eleven. So when the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise. And when the wise is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. So that scorner is the boastful person. It's the prideful person. The person who, who speaks down on other people. So when he is corrected, when the scorner is punished so when punishment or retribution comes to the scorner it's a the wicked or the simple is made wise so the naive person gain instruction through the punishment of the scorner or the prideful person and it's the picture of when you discipline one for being a marker for being prideful the naive is the unlearn he don't know no better he sees that and he gains wisdom through you punishing him this is why punishment and dealing with evil and rebellion in the household is a key. Because anytime you're dealing with one, you're not just dealing with one, you're dealing with the whole. Because if you let one child get away with it, all the rest of them see it. And when you begin to deal with them, they are being instructed by how you dealt with the other one. And the point here is, is, when you got the, the naive, the young, that don't know no better, And you deal with the big boastful, the prideful one, they learn from it. I got this like at my job. It's the philosophy that I have that I try to instill with all my other folks. I call it the scapegoat. When you new and you coming in and you see trouble coming, you pick the biggest, baddest one and get rid of him. Everybody else gonna leave you alone. Because the idea is if they see you willing to deal with him when he act up, you willing to deal with anything. And this is the picture that he's giving here. So the young, the naive is learned when the scorner is punished. But he gives us another one. Said so said when the wise is instructed, so when you correct a wise man, you don't have to punish them. You only have to correct them. They increase in knowledge or they receive knowledge. So you got the simple. They learn from the, the prideful. In him being punished, you got the wise, they just learn from being instructed. Who is the only person that don't learn in this? The foolish, the scorner. The prideful person is the only one that don't learn. The naive learn, the wise only have to be told. For the prideful person, you beat him, and he still ain't learned nothing. How many of y'all got some chilling like that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> the righteous man wisely consider it the house of the wicked. But God overthroweth the wicked for their wickedness. So the righteous man wisely considereth the house of the wicked. But God overthroweth the wicked for their wickedness. Now this is one of those complex proverbs I'll tell you earlier. That in the Hebrew language it's very concrete in the way they express things. And so sometimes especially dealing with poetry without context is hard to translate. And this is one. For some of you if you got the old King James where it said the righteous man you may see man in italics. What that means is that word is not in there. They added it to try to help it make sense. Because really what it says is the righteous sees or observes the house of the wicked. So the question becomes in this, is it referring to the righteous man or just the righteous one? Like some of you got some of the new translations it might say the righteous one or the righteous God. Because the word is not added there. In the picture here that I lean towards the latter, that it's the righteous one. That God being the righteous one, he oversees or he looks out at the house of the dwelling. I mean, the dwelling of the wicked. God pays attention to it. And in their wickedness, he sees it and he will overthrow it. He will bring punishment. And it's the idea that God knows what is going on, even in the dwelling place of the wicked. And there's no true prosperity for the wicked. He sees it. He pays attention to it. And there's a day of retribution coming where he's going to cast it down. Y'all understand that. So even when you see somebody that's living a wicked life and it seems to be that they're prospering, they're not. Because you can get by for a long time. That don't mean you got over. Because God sees, God recognizes and he takes notice. And the end thing is, is he going to cast it down. God is a patient God. Verse 13. So whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself but not shall not be heard. This is deep. To stop your ear. When you, when you read that, what you think of somebody show me? What, what, what come to your mind when you read that? Do it like, that. I think the same thing. And that's what it's giving reference to. So if you, somebody around you, and here is the poor, they have a need and they're pleading to you for help, but you act like you don't hear. So if you ignore the pleas, of the poor. It's like it's going to come a day where you're going to be the one pleading. And ain't nobody going to hear you. And we see this picture continuously through the Proverbs. And make sure y'all been understanding. Because we started way back in Proverbs chapter 3. Where it talks about honoring God with your substance. And we left it blanket. And it said how do you honor God with your money? And most of us been to church and heard all that. You think put your money in the box. Give it to the preacher. And all that little stuff. But so far, every time we've seen honoring God, what has it been talking about with money? Anybody pay attention caught on? Given to who specifically? To the poor. That's honoring God. That's taking care of God. So those who give to the poor, give to God. When you look out for the poor, they make or take notice of it. And here he's saying in a a negative connotation, when you refuse to hear us recognize the need of the poor, you're going to be in need one day and somebody is not going to recognize your need. So we can't be people hard-hearted. We can't be people that's just just stuck in our ways and, and, and have a refusal to allow ourselves to be impacted by the needs of those around us. And now the key word here is the poor. Your cousin, they got a PlayStation and an Xbox One, a 57-inch screen TV, but can't pay their light bill, they're not poor. <laughs> That's not the poor. So when they come begging and pleading and you say, I can't help you, or you say, how much that TV call? <laughs> this ain't what it's talking about. It's talking about those who truly have not, that do not have the ability to meet their basic needs and their means. The real poor, hear those people, help those people, and don't go so far as to judge the motives or intent of those people. You go by what you know, and you go by the integrity that you have towards God. Uh, y'all, y'all understand it. So we look out for the poor. If you don't look out for the poor, ain't nobody gonna be around to look out for you. Verse 14, a gift in secret, pacified anger, and a reward in the bosom, strong wrath. Now what's a gift? A bribe. And it's a deep one, I have to say. It's getting more, more and more dense, what well, you gotta use your mind a little bit to think about. It. So a gift in secret, that means you gotta give some money, a bribe, and you can slide it to somebody. It said it has the ability to make them not be mad. That's deep. So is he condoning bribery here? Is that a gift in secret, pacified anger. And a reward in the bosom, that's in your chest. You got some head out for somebody. So that can take down strong wrath. Is he condoning bribery? It's set this way for you to take these principles, you learn them and understand them. Strong wrath, anger, can be put down by a gift. Fifteen, it is joy to the just to do judgment, but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. So joy to the just, the just is the righteous. And here we can read and understand this a couple of different ways. It could be saying that when the righteous do judgment, judgment is what we refer to as justice in this. It's the right act of making a sound decision, especially in pleading with somebody's cause. So when you got some authority over somebody and you treat them in the right manner, said so when the righteous do that, it is joy. It could be that that is joy for the righteous to do that or that when they do that, it produces joy. No matter which way you read it, I don't, I don't think you're in, in any conflict with the, the scripture there. So by doing justice, the righteous man, it, it is joy to him. And by doing justice, the righteous man produced joy. So when you do and you treat people right when you execute the right ideas, the right principles, somebody on the, at the right time. That's a joy producing thing. But on the contrast, it is destruction. For the wicked. I mean, destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. Those who do iniquity, that's sin, that's evil. Destruction is the outcome of their work. So you got righteous people doing justice wicked people doing iniquity one produces joy the other one produces destruction or calamity that's what comes from it and that's why we need to watch the way that we live verse 16 the man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead that's a deep one. that wanders out of the way means he strays off what y'all church folks would call the backslider. That he going down the right way but there's an ease that happens and he just drifts away he said, a person that eases away from the way of understanding, he shall remain in the congregation of the dead. And it's that congregation, is the assembly. So you get the picture of a person who's walking the right way, but slowly begins to drift. And in his drifting from the way, he ends up surrounded by dead people. And he said, that person, that's where he's going to stay. That's a heavy one. One that drifting off the path is going to drift to the point where he's surrounded by death. Like that's where he gonna stay. And the, and the warning, if we take the warning here, is for us to watch our walk. Because it's an easy thing, it's a slow fade. That can take you from being on the right path to being in the congregation of the dead. As this saying about the people who navigate and, and, and do safaris and all type of things like that. They said one of the hardest places to walk is in the desert. Because you have no landmarks to make sure you walk straight. And the idea is, is that if you walk without anything to gauge your steps, you will drift towards your dominant leg. That's what they say. That we can't walk a straight line without anything to gauge us and keep us straight. So They say if you walk long enough without anything around just openness, you end up drifting towards your dominant leg. And that if you continue to do that for miles, eventually you will be thousands of miles away from where you were headed. Without even being conscious of it, because you can't see the fade and you can't see the drifting. And what you need is something to keep you and allow you to gauge your steps by. And this is something that we need, and this is a part of the purpose of the assembly. That we keep one another, we we gird one another, we encourage one another, and we put up them lampposts. So that as we walk in, we can know when we're drifting. And this is why pride and and, and why hardness of heart is such a dangerous thing. Because if I can't allow Buke to say, hey man, you, you sure about that? That means I have no guideposts. And it's possible for me to drift if I can't hear him. If you can't, man, you know what I'm saying? What what going on? like, Man, don't, I'm straight. Don't You don't question me. <laughs> no, we all should have some level of where we can interact with one another because it's our duty to keep each other on. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So let's not let one another drift. And we need to watch our own heart. And let's not let it drift. It's a slow fade that can take us away and we end up in the congregation of the dead. Verse 17, he that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. And he that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. That's a deep one. By the love and pleasure here, we would translate this as leisure or luxury. It's the one that loves leisure or luxury. The 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 the, the thing that create ease and relax in life. Like if you the person that loves that, if your heart longs for that, if you find peace and contentment in luxury, so you're going to be a poor man. That's a, that's a heavy one. How many of y'all agree with that? Like, that's deep. This all your heart want for. How many of y'all know? that? Don't raise your hand out loud. I just thought about somebody. I'm gonna see if I'm the only one that can think about somebody. Know somebody who, who folk. That really ain't got none. But, Nothing that they have is good enough for them. Like they can get a house, but we need a bigger house. They can get a car, but we need a Mercedes. And they always on that next level of, of living, and you look at them and you're like, we ain't them people. Like, I know where you come from. I know where you're at. You my people. We come from the same spot. You ain't them people. The only way you had in the cabin clown or Michael Core when when old butter, old lady from around the street stopped at by before she went to the store. Be like, hey, y'all need something. Y'all don't act like y'all don't know them type folk. That's <laughs> Stop, it. hey, man, I'm going to the store. You need anything? <laughs> y'all don't act like y'all got too saved. came up in life. <laughs> Said I don't got none of them folk. I had a lady that stop by, got me through elementary school. Miss <laughs> Ann? She knew my size. Well, <laughs> your son's still in them 14s? Come <laughs> <laughs> okay. on, where we get all this stuff from? Okay. Never seen an American either. I didn't know what that was. But I had the pants. <laughs> That's the one on the west side. <laughs> I didn't know that still existed had them. Why? It's an old lady. And it's the idea of the folks who long to live that life. The end result of that is going to be poverty. The person that loves leisure, the person that loves luxury, the end result of them living that way, pursuing that is going to be poverty. And he that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. The person that loved these finer things in life their life is consumed by that. The end result of it is poverty. Just like lesson one in, in the finance lesson that Apostle J. teach. Number one thing, you can't be greedy. You must be what? Content. Because if you greedy, you're going to be broke. Because it's hard to stay on the path and, and build towards something if you're greedy. Because as your income increase, what increases? your Your lifestyle. Your level of life. You fine taping that 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 dashboard up for all them years. Then you get the two little more dollars in your check, and now you run down there. You gotta get a new car. <laughs> now you too good to have tape on your dashboard. That's all right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You buying them the, the, the little twenty-five, thirty-five dollar tires forever. And get a little bump in your check. Now you gotta go to Firestone. <laughs> go ahead. The, the oil is, there's basically a reference to the finer things when it comes to food and the lifestyle. That's what, most times you're gonna see wine and oil coupled together for luxury. That's, that's basically trying to give us an example of how we would see it. I, I don't know. I can't, I can't think of a parallel. That, but the abundance of oil is not something that poor people have. It's a limited thing. Most of the poor people live mostly off grains and the basic things of the land. But when you can get a little oil and, and really cook up your bread instead of just grinding it out, then you, you, you'd have moved up in the world. Yeah. So it basically those who, who, who gotta go and you gotta have outback and filet and vine and all that. You're gonna be the poor people. I'm saying, if you, if you just can't get the basics you can't live off just whipping them up, um, chicken and broccoli, I'm saying, just throw it, throw that thing on the grease and just whip it up and do a little something. Like it, you, you're gonna be poor. Like I had this, my wife had this friend who supposedly shoot bad young college girl. My wife come and tell me this sob story. I feel sorry for the girl. I'm like, all right, go ahead, take her to the store. My wife took us to the store, bought groceries. And the next day my wife come home. With some outback. Like, woman, you been out at the outback and they ain't bring a brother. Nothing? What's going on? I thought you was at work. Like I was. But old girl, she had the leftover. And she don't eat leftover. I'm like, that the same girl you told we need to take to the store? (laughs) He's like, yeah, she don't eat leftover. uh No, girl, don't you ever. (laughs) Damn, your life. You talking about helping somebody who can't eat no leftover? Girl, you know how many times I had that red water on the stove you put them same hot dogs in that thing over and over again. You can get hot dog, red hot, all of it, if for breakfast and it's for dinner. Your mama just put that little water there. You talking about she can't eat leftover. Girl, this was great. I ain't ever forget that. That just blew my mind. That was my first time I realized how people live like that. Like I ain't never met nobody like you don't know, eat left over. <laughs> she gonna be poor. <laughs> Verse eighteen. <laughs> Y'all made me flashback. I was to be, The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous, and the transgressors for the upright. So the wicked shall be a ransom for this is the idea there's coming a day of retribution and calamity where everything going to be made right and in that time the righteous and the upright will be removed and the wicked come in their place so there's punishment set up for the upright for the righteous but the wicked going to enter into their place in that time of punishment that's what he mean by going to be a ransom for they're going to be the escape for the upright and the righteous. It's going to be an exchange that's going to take place. Verse 19. It is better to dwell in the wilderness. Than with a contentious and angry woman. That's deep. That's a heavy one right there. You got a that contentious. The woman that love to fight. And the woman that's always mad. It's like it's better to be in the wilderness. And the wilderness here. Is not a lush place where you can get a tree house. The wilderness for them in their context. Was the desert. Like it better to be dropped off in a desert where ain't nothing around and you could potentially die. Than to live with an angry woman who loved a fight. That's deep. How I many of y'all believe that? <laughs> yeah, you in the desert. That's deep. Verse 20. So there is treasure to be desired in all in the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish man spendeth it up. This is a deep one. It's one of the ones that the apostle tried to teach us about, so there's treasure to be desired in all in the dwelling of the wise. so it's basically the there's treasure there's great things in the dwelling of the wise. it is there, he has it. The wise man has treasure, he has all. but on the contrast, the foolish man consumes it all. that's what he means by spendeth it up. He consumes it all. One has the ability to store and always have things. The one never has anything because he consumes everything that he has. Y'all understand that? A wise man has the ability to store up and there's always some treasure to be had from him. A foolish man consumes everything that he has. He don't have anything. 21. He that followeth out the righteousness and mercy and life. I mean, righteousness Follow without the righteousness and mercy, find it life, righteousness, and honor. This is deep. That follow without there is pursued. So the one that pursues righteousness is that right way of living, doing what is right, the right way at the right time in the right manner. And mercy is that love and kindness. Compassion is the word that we will use. So the person that is righteous and compassionate, if you pursue those two things, you find righteousness, honor, and life. So life comes to you if you're righteous and merciful. You gain righteousness and honor. That that's that point where you will be celebrated. There's a glory about you if you pursue, if you go after righteousness and compassion. And you can't have one without the other. Because there's some quote unquote righteous people who are not compassionate. What I mean by that, they tell you by how right they live, but they mean as a snake. They ain't talking about them people. Yeah. Them, them, them folks, them way back, them old church mother with the white glove. I tell you about how holy they is, but if they see you look like you're chewing gum, boom, all down your throat, that's the only time they speak to you. They don't ever say hey. But they tell you spit that out. <laughs> the one that mean as a snake. He ain't talking about them type of folks. It's righteousness and mercy. That righteousness and compassion, loving and kindness, tenderness. If you are a truly righteous person, there should be tenderness inside of you. Should none of us be that mean folk? 22 a wise man skelet the city of the mighty and cast it down the strength and confidence thereof so the wise man have the ability to overcome the city of the mighty so you got the strong versus the wise and what he's saying here is the wise man can conquer the strong man he can overthrow the city of the wise so a wise man is stronger than the strong man or the mighty man 23 So whoso keepeth his mouth in his tongue, keepeth his soul from trouble. That's a deep one. That keepeth means to guard or preserve, have the ability to control and maintain. So the one that controls and maintains his mouth in his tongue controls and maintains his soul from entering into trouble. So you can cut down the trouble in your life if you cut down the words of your mouth. Watch your mouth, you're watching your soul, you're watching your life. Twenty-four. Proud and haughty, scorner is his name, who dealeth with proud wrath. So the person that deals with proud wrath—what he means by that—that that wrath that, that that looks down on people—you get angry about folks, and you think people mistreating you because of who you are. It's like the person that deals in that type of wrath. Proud and hardy scorner is their name. They're a proudful and boastful person. That's who they are. That's their character. Anybody that that's easily offended. And take everything as an affront to them. Like, you must don't know who I am. Them type people that get upset because certain people just, you can't look at me like that because of who I am. Like Those type people, they deal with proud and horny Scatter. That's their name. That's their character. That's who they are. So he lumped all that up together. 25. The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse it to label. You got this lazy man. The lazy man, he want a lot of stuff and that's what destroying him because he ain't going to do nothing about it. He refused to work. He just got dreams. He's going to start a whole bunch of businesses. He's going to be rich and he's going to make it and do all that stuff. But what he ain't going to do is work. <laughs> like I said, I'm going to keep reminding you. Let's get that out of our children. Let's train our children. Want and work go together. Ain't no need to want stuff if you ain't going to work. Yep. So when the children come, in, I want some jobs. You want a job. That's how it works. <laughs> and it's 26. He covered he it greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth and spare it not. Now this one I think is a throwback to the last one. It talks about this slothful man that he covered greedily all the day long. So this is one who desires and he got all these plans and these ambitions he want everything he see everything he want and it's just that's all he does all all he got big dreams big goals and he just want everything and he contrasts this with the righteous in contrasting to being greedy and wanting the righteous are benevolent people who give so instead of Coveting and desire and putting everything on itself and just trying to fulfill every desire of their heart. The righteous people give. Y'all understand that. One just won't and is greedy. The other one gives. He's benevolent. And that's two different lifestyles. And that's why I get weary. And please y'all do weary the same. When you're listening to them preachers who create in your mind an ambition and a desire for a certain level of lifestyle detached from godliness. That ain't got nothing to do with giving and taking care of the poor. Be on be on God, Because that's what righteous people do. Y'all, y'all understand. Righteous people don't go out just warning and dreaming about how they can make their life more luxur- luxurious. Righteous people give and take care of those who are around them and handle the business. Y'all understand. 27. The sacrifice of the wicked is abomination. How much more when he bringeth it with a wicked mind? It's deep. So the sacrifice, that's the spiritual offerings. So the religious works of the wicked is an abomination. It's something that God hates. It's something he And say even much more to an even greater degree when he brings it with a wicked mind. So when his mind messed up and he's bringing these religious offerings and he's doing these things for God, yeah, God hates it even more. So the sacrifice itself, when the wicked do things and they do their religious activities, so that's abomination. God hates that. But when they're doing it with a messed up mind, that's even worse. So religious activities alone don't put you in favor with God. Because if you're wicked and doing religious activity, God don't like that. And then you got a messed up mind in doing these religious activities. That makes it even worse. And when I read that, I think about the Sanctified Sweet Dad. You know, the ones that, that bounce from every single conference. Because they're macking but they praising them and lift their hands up because they want to be deep. They heart is, I want Chevette to see me. <laughs> and we're going to go to IHOP after the conference and talk about how good the Lord is. <laughs> That's a lie. 28, a false witness shall perish, but the man that hear it speak it constantly. So here we got the contrast between a liar and a listener. That's a deep one now. We ain't seen this one before. So a false witness, that's the liar. He shall perish. So the liar gonna die. But the listener, the one that's hear it, say he speak it constantly. What that means is that the words that come on out of his mouth, they're maintained are in accordance with that which is right. It's, there's a goal. There's a structure that's set up. And the listener, when they speak, their words line up with that. While the liar, they just tell lies and they're going to end up dying. But this is a deep contrast that we got to just think about. You got a liar versus a listener. And we talked about this a little bit earlier one or the other one. The one who always got to have something to say is the one you do not trust. If their words is the dominant thing and they can never sit down and listen to you, you don't, you don't want to fool with that man. Huh? Yeah, and because of the what, what proverb we read earlier it said in the multitude of their in the multitude of words that wanted not sin. So ain't no sin missing when words get heaped up. When you got somebody that's always talking, it, something going wrong. And eventually most time they lie. And it talks about those that a babbling fool, the one that can bring destruction, the one that always gotta talk, the one that always the, the dominates. And the wise man, on the contrast, is always the listener. The wise man is the one that's slow to speak. The wise man is the one that hears the whole thing. And he he, he let it be heard. And that's how he enters into conversation. The one that has to dominate, that's a fool. Go ahead. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And even that, when y'all out like there share your faith or whatever you call it with the people, you should always be willing to listen. Because one thing you do not know is what's going on in the heart of the other person. And the only way you can truly minister to, which means to serve, that's what ministry means, to serve the other person is if you understand them. And if you know what is their pain, if you know what is their hurt, and you know what is going on, you know what is their struggle, that's the only way. So if you're sinning, I'm just preaching, preaching, let them know, putting them on, putting them on. You're doing foolishness. Because you really can't put nobody on if you don't know where they at. Y'all understand that? So you should not be the one that you just go in and you run and you letting it all out. And it's a whole 45-minute conversation. And all they say, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Be willing to listen. And if you ain't willing to listen, you're a fool. 29. A wicked man hardened his face, but as for the upright, he directed his way. And this is got kind of the idea of correction. What it mean by hardening his face, basically a wicked man becomes stubborn. So when you're dealing with a wicked man and you try to correct them, they just become stubborn in their way. And they just latch down. You ever had a conversation with somebody where y'all discussing, dialoguing, and then you prove them absolutely wrong. But they refuse to say how wrong they are, and they just go even further into their foolishness. And they just they just stick with it. Like, man, yeah, you i I I did. You know what I'm saying? I went down there. And you be like, how you went down there when you such so, so? we walked. <laughs> you walked all the way to Florida, yeah. Because <laughs> they refuse to say, it. You caught me in a lie, I messed up. No, we really didn't do it. And they just go strong in what they were saying yeah. Like, what do you mean. Uh, the, the wicked harden at their face. They just become stubborn. But the righteous man or the upright man, he directed his way. I mean, he, he, he navigates. He aligns. He's willing to be corrected. If you put him on and you show him the error of his way, he's willing to move and, and get in alignment with that which is right. But the wicked man, he just stubborn. Verse 30 said, there is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. This is a deep one. So when you got wisdom, understanding, counsel, wisdom, that's the way of lifestyle. The understanding, that's the comprehension of what life is supposed to be like. And that counselor, that's the guidance and the direction about how you do these things. Like none of that is contrary to the Lord. And this puts God in the dominant position when it comes to life. So every advice, every direction, everything should be subservient to him there's no wisdom no counsel no understanding that's contrary to him so if it's good wisdom if it's real counsel if it's good advice it should be in alignment with him because all true wisdom knowledge and counsel comes from him y'all understand what i'm saying so god is the supreme we doubt everything but him and there ain't nothing wrong with that to be skeptic of everything like, boy, your mama I said, I don't believe God ain't tell me she was outside I proved me. <laughs> ain't nothing wrong with that. The only thing we're not skeptical of is God, because He's the chief and He's the Supreme. 31 said the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. It's the idea of fighting in war. That per- the horse is prepared against the day of battle. That basically you get your horse ready when you got to go fight. That's in the olden time. Like, But safety, security, surety comes from the Lord. It don't come from the horse. The way we can say it is, the Smith & Wesson is prepared for protection. But safety comes from God. And this is something when I be talking to my boys at work. Man, I got to keep that iron on me. Why? Oh, boy, it'd be dangerous out there in the streets. You know, just Make this one little statement. Everybody who I know personally that got shot had a gun on them. I don't know nobody who got shot that did not have a gun. So that tells me something. Gun don't keep you from getting shot. (laughs) I'm just being honest. Just because you got that iron, it don't mean nobody can't even kill you. (laughs) That's just the reality of the matter. And that's the point that he's getting here. You can have all the security measures you want to. God is the only one that can truly make you sure or secure. You can get your ADT, your blue, your ring, and all that stuff. You know people with ADT and blue and ring, they still get their dough kicked in. And they watch the man on their little ring doorbell walking off with their packages. Because <laughs> <laughs> all that stuff does not create security. So the idea is you can have those things, but don't put your trust or your confidence in those things. Y'all understanding that? You can have it, man what you do. But then no, that stuff ain't going to make you safe. Only God is the one that can give true safety. So when we rely on, when we give confidence and rest in our heart, it's through God. You tough now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want nothing. I don't want nothing because I know me. That increased my chance of shooting somebody. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just tell you the truth. If I got a gun, a good chance, I might shoot you. Ain't no talk now. What what? Y'all know them little yokers. I deal with them all the time. You a thug. I seen you. But now we in here, you ain't got no gun. (laughs) Man, quit playing. (laughs) But on your street, you running. Go, what, what up? Yeah. (laughs) I'm with them when they locked up. Man, quit playing. Remember remember you trying to do all that? (laughs) Chapter 22, verse 1 said a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. So a good name, that's a good reputation. So if you got a choice between being rich and having a good reputation, say choose a good reputation. How many of y'all believe that? Okay, I'm just seeing y'all saying it. Now. Love and favor rather than silver and gold. That love and favor is that's compassion of people liking you. Basically being gracious towards you. They look towards you with favor. They want to help you out. It's like, it's better to have that than silver and gold. I mean, y'all really believe that? To have folks around you, favor you, like you, look to you with benefit. If you can choose, Like you can be rich, or you can have the whole world like you and look to you and want to do you good. And he's saying, it's better to have the whole world want to do you good than to have silver and gold. That deep. All right, y'all say y'all believe it. Verse 2, the rich and poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. So here he's given a picture of the rich and the poor. There's a commonality in them. And what that commonality is, God made both of them. So there is nothing intrinsically better about the rich than there is about the poor. When you strip them all the way down, they the same. A rich man is still a man, and a poor man is still a man. So you don't treat one with more favor and another one with less favor because they both are men, and both of them are creations of God. 23 said, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. A prudent man, a wise man, a man with some discernment about life, he can tell when things are about to go wrong. He can see it coming, and he hideth himself. And in this one, if you let it rack, tra- track with what's going on before, you can see you're dealing with financially. Like a prudent man has the ability to recognize when somebody about, about to get him, about to take him. Uh, when he entering into a transaction, they're going to come to his hurt, and he can get out of it. But the fool that passed on me, they rush right into it. They keep going, and punishment has come. They end up hurt because of it. For by humility and the fear of the Lord our riches, honor, and life. Now this is a throwback to what we just read in chapter 21. It said by humility, that's the humbleness of mind, in the fear of the Lord. So if you humble and you fear God, you get riches, honor, and life. The last one told us that if we pursue mercy and righteousness, you get riches, honor, and life. So being humble and fearing God It's the equivalent to pursuing righteousness and mercy. So those who fear God pursue righteousness and mercy. Those who are humble pursue righteousness and mercy. In the end result, we get riches, honor, and life. Verse 5, thorns and snares are in the way of the froward. He that don't keep his soul shall be far from I mean, he that don't keep his soul shall be far from them. So basically the lifestyle that the wicked live or the perverse live, it's surrounded by things that could hurt them. Snares and thorns are in the way of the of the fraud. So the perverse their lifestyle is surrounded by things that can hurt them. But the one that keeps his soul, or that guards his soul, he shall be far from those things that can hurt him. The idea of you preserving yourself and living yourself in a manner to where you don't get in the way of those things. You don't even come close to those things that can hurt you. So we watch out. Verse six, train up a child. This is a very controversial proverb. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So train up, that's what means rear him up. It's the idea of a discipline, a side-by-side instructive discipline of you pulling somebody alone, of you being there. The picture I get, I don't know, y'all probably... Didn't play uh, Mike Tyson Punch-Out on the regular Nintendo. But there's a little scene in between the boards where you got the little boxing man and he running. And the other man ride behind him on the bike. And he just, you know, the graphics weren't that good. So he just did that. (laughs) And that's that's the idea he got here. Of you being there pushing somebody. You being there dragging them along. Like this is what you do with your child. You train them up in the way that they should go. And that in the way that they should go could be a reference to pulling them in the right manner according to their temperament or according to their level. So it's the idea of you knowing your child, you knowing what they can handle, you knowing how they have been, and you dealing with them on that level and pulling them down the, the proper route for them. So this takes a couple little things. It takes you knowing your child, and it takes Active energy on our behalf, the parent. And what normally take place is we don't do those things. He said one of the biggest curses for a parent is fatigue. Now, I mean, uh, my said, How many of my parents here? How many? Don't don't. You can raise your hand if you want to. How often, just being honest, have you let stuff go and refuse to deal with something just because you were tired? I ain't up for it. Y'all go sit down. (laughs) I'm saying, Susan and DDT the brother. (laughs) He got a big old nano. I ain't ain't dealing with that today. (laughs) I done it. Like, no, I'm tired. you can't be tired and be a good parent. One gonna dominate. You gonna just let some stuff slide? Because active training takes energy and that's what he's saying here. And the idea is if you really train them, if you really get down and rear them in the way that they should go, so you take their level and pull them in the right direction according to their temperament, says when he is old, the child, he will not depart from it in reference to the training. So the child will not leave, will not exit the training if you do it according to the way that they should go. Now what makes this so controversial is this seems to put a lot of responsibility on parents for the outcome of the child. And we don't like that. Because I have even been hearing it since I was a child. Man, children, they're going to do their own thing. They're going to go their own way. And there's some truth to that. But you are a parent. And you have the responsibility to bend and influence that way as much as possible. And we believe this more than we think we do. Because most of us don't have any doubts about why Serena is a great tennis player. It's because she had a father that beat her in her for as long as she was strong enough to hold a racket. And if you hear her at times where she talked honestly about her upbringing and in in her life in tennis, she tells you she could not stand tennis. And there's some interviews where she says she don't like it now. But she had no choice <laughs> but to get out there and play. Because as long as she was with her daddy, that's what she was going to be doing. And we understand that. Right, that boy ain't got no... That boy, he's going to do this. And we understand that. But we don't extrapolate that into all of life. And the idea is we need to take that same mindset and apply it to our children in our way of life. But it takes work, which makes it hard, which means most time it don't get done to the degree that it should get done. And so that's why we don't get the results that we should get. And so you get the hidden misses. You get the ones that flare off and come back. Cause your training was good enough to stay, but it wasn't good enough to keep. Ain't nothing wrong with that. That's just the reality of it. But we have some responsibility, huh? Like you, 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 you trained them up and you did it good, but you know I'm saying you got enough in them so that one day they strayed, they knew what the, the right way back was of the way where you train them and they enter into adulthood maintaining what you got. Now, you said for us, I know one's like, the training for us is you go to church. And that's about it. And that's the most religious, whatever, you might get a little reference to a little God or something here and there through the life, but the the most of it is you, you go get your butt up and go to church. And that's why once you're 25, you're 30, and you drift away, your mind said, I got to go to church. And that's all the conviction you got. So you leave the club, <laughs> fringle up, fresh up, and you take your butt to church. I read the story of the lady. She was a um, porn star. And she said she used to leave from making the pornos and go to church. And she was, I'm like, serious bit, She said she used to get the whole set. Like, we all, let, let go. We going to church. Right from that get done making the porno. cameraman, you man, and she said she used to drag them and we all going to church. That was her conviction. That's the training that she got. You do not not go to church. So let let our training be a little better. Verse seven. make it to the end of this section. It said, the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, this is one of those J. Black verses. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. So the poor man is below the rich, meaning he has some obligation towards the rich. Rich rules over the poor. There's a domination that happens because of this position in life. And this idea we understand it better than we think we do. How many of y'all working a job have ever complained the default make all these decisions, and we the people down here doing the work, and they'll never ask us what we supposed to do. Anybody that don't work any job for any corporation, no matter what field you in, you'd have made that complaint before. You know why they do that? Because they rule. <laughs> they don't gotta ask you nothing. You depending on them. They ain't depending on you. You like, we the one doing the work. Yes, you are. And we the one paying your check. <laughs> There's a dominance and there's an authority that happens when you in a position where you have to depend upon somebody else. And he amps it up and there's a syntheticness to it where the borrower, when you put yourself in that position, so the borrower is synthetic or is synonymous with the poor in this. So the person that borrowed in this understanding of dominance It's the equivalent to the poor man. When you have to depend upon borrowing, you are the poor man. And just like the rich rule over the poor, the borrower is slave to the lender. The man who borrows works for the man who gives. So you are his slave. You are his bondman once you have to borrow his money. You work for him. That's who you work for. So once you get that big old 30 year, for 30 years you work for regions, BB&T, BBVA, that's who you work for. So all of them checks you collecting, you going to wherever you going, to the chicken house, out there, out there cutting grass under the sun, to DYS, to wherever you going, you're doing it for BB&T and regions. And they appreciate it. <laughs> If <laughs> they can sit in air conditioned buildings all day and let you collect them a check. Go ahead. That's who you work. For. When you owe them money, you got that 30 year. $150,000. You making 25. So your whole check rightfully belong to them. Cause you owe them 150. But they let you pay them a little bit at a time because they want you to keep going to work. If I take the whole thing, you ain't gonna eat. And you're gonna die and you're gonna starve. So give me a little bit. And I'm gonna charge you for that little bit. You work for me. And if you stop working, what happens to that new house you own? Hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back. Matter of fact, don't even go to my cousin. We're gonna tell everybody. (laughs) <laughs> so, that alone, don't, don't come at me for no money, don't come my competition for no money. All you can do is go to WeChance sim, second chance. <laughs> well, your job is your credit. Verse 8, <laughs> 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 hey, he that is so iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his anger shall fail. So the one that giving out, a, a sowing, giving out iniquity, doing wrong, what he get back is vanity. Nothing. There's no benefit to his lifestyle. And the rod of his anger, that's basically the instrument of his wrath, is going to fail. It's going to run out. And it's just when people who think they can bully their way into dominance and have whatever they want to. Eventually that's going to run out. Verse 9. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the who? To the poor. That bountiful eye, basically you're looking towards somebody with favor. You're looking to do somebody good. So If you got a bountiful eye that means you're looking, you're benevolent in your disposition. Your position is you want to help people out. Like the person that got that type of eye, the benevolent person, they're going to be blessed. Why? Because they give their bread to the poor. Not to the preacher, but to the who. Okay. Now keep sending your money to them folks on TV. <laughs> Cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out; yea, strife and reproach shall cease. So, if you get rid of the scorner, the mocker, the haughty, the prideful person, you're gonna get rid of the fight, strife, reproach, all of that anger, and all that stuff gonna stop if you get rid of the the scorner. So, basically, if you got a prideful person in your camp, a person who always got some negative and talked down about other people, if you want peace in your life, get them out your life. That's what he's saying. Get them out your life. You are gonna have peace. Verse eleven says, "He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend." And this one, well, if you pure on the inside in your life, you love that. That's what you long for. The people in authority are going to be your friend. But here, the parallel or the synonym he given this proverb is that there's a synonym that pure heart. And graceful lips are synonymous. If you have a pure heart, your mouth would be graceful. And because of that good mouth, the king going to love you. But if your heart right, your mouth going to be right. There is no foul mouth, pure person. That angry fly off the handle with their mouth person is not a righteous person. You cannot be both of them because out of the abundance of the heart, that's how the mouth speak. So if your mouth can't say right and can't talk to people right, you ain't right. Verse 12, the eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge and he overthroweth the words of transgressors. So this idea of preservation, God is in the, the business of taking care of knowledge and truth. And he's in the business of casting down, overthrowing, destroying the words of transgressors. Here's, it, this If we understand it, this gives us a security about the words of God. God preserves the words of knowledge that's what this you're out there talking to folks on the street like man man wrote it now, how we know that bible been corrupt because it's been passed down so, so, so. okay that is true but if it ain't been corrupted that's a sign to you that it's more than just a man's book because if you keep passing a man word around and around around it gonna get messed up so if i can show you that what they read way a long time ago is the same thing i'm reading now that means some spectacular has happened and that's what he's heading towards. That God preserves knowledge. He's in the business of keeping it. Can't nobody overthrow the word of God. But the words of these liars going to be overthrown. That was this French dude way back. His name was Voltaire. his an old philosopher who hated God and hated anything with truth. But he made this declaration. <clears throat> Before he died, he's going to make sure that the publication and the spread of the Bible cease. He had that much confidence in his knowledge and his ability to speak. Like I'm going to end it. There ain't going to be no more Bibles. People ain't going to be reading it or talking about it no more before I die. To this day, this company called the Wycliffe Bible Association owns his house and they use it to print Bibles. <laughs> they made his home into a biblical printing press that they pass out and evangelize across the nation. It's just a bit of irony of of history. Verse 13. The slothful man said, there is a lion without. I shall be slain in the streets. Now we meet this lazy man and his excuses again. Now does this seem like a legitimate excuse? He's saying there's a lion outside. I'm going to be hurt. That seems like a legitimate excuse. Man, I might get hurt if I go out there at work. But we told you about your legitimate excuses. You can have as many legitimate excuses as you want. They're still not going to stop you from being broke. If you refuse to work. But then the question I have to ask this man is, how you know it's a lying out there? He don't. He's just making an excuse. That's what the slothful man does. He make up excuses. Yeah, it's all of the above. His whole thing is his excuse restricts him from doing anything. Because if you're a man about your business it's lying this line that's keeping you from eating, you need to figure out a way to get some food out the line then. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's what you got that I got to go get it mindset. But when you just lazy, oh, well, I can't go today. You know I'm saying that's like, i be like that sometimes. I must admit, and repent. Well, my wife wanted me to cut the grass. Oh, well, you see, if it rain a little bit, i <laughs> you don't see all that stuff out there, you gonna throw down. You can't cut no grass without it's throwing down. Can't do it. Then six o'clock, 7 oh, baby, dog. Nah, I can't go under. I thought it was gonna rain. <laughs> I gotta go to work tomorrow. I get in that weekend. <laughs> Verse 14, so the mouth of a strange woman is a deep pit and he that abhor, and he that is abhorred of the Lord shall fall therein." Now, this is a scary proverb One I had to just sit on and pray about for a second. So the mouth of a strange woman, that's a, that adulterous woman that, that no good flues. It. So like her mouth, the way she use her tongue. It's a deep ditch in the sense that she can speak words to draw you in. But when you get drawn in, you falling into a trap. And as I was corrected before, is the mouth of the strange dude, too. <laughs> I remember when you correct me. Yeah. <laughs> is that strange dude, hmm? Mr. Buff and the, the slick one. His mouth is a deep ditch. <laughs> and it's the picture of he has the ability to pull you in, but just by talking. The words, they just, they just do something to you. But he's saying the end result of it, you're going to end up in a ditch, a trap that you cannot get out of. And then he adds this extra warning on there and said, he that is abhorred of the Lord shall fall therein. So the person who has God hatred against them, they the ones that are going to fall in it. That's the deep one. And it gives the picture of sexual immorality and getting taken into sexual sin as being a picture of being in a position where you and God ain't ain't ain't, ain't in right standing where something is wrong between you and God that puts you in that position where you fall like you did go ahead yes they're they're the ones who fall into that so it's the idea of God has the ability to utilize The perversion and the seductiveness of these strangers as a tool of judgment against somebody. And it's this picture where you can be in a position where you have been obstinate against God. Where God has been pleading with you and you ain't been paying no attention. And now his anger is turned towards you. And the way he gets you is by allowing you to be taken in or, or seduced. By the words of this stranger, where well, you you falling into you? Well, I can't speak on both sides on this one because I ain't never been no woman, but I've been a man, and it's this idea of yeah, how y'all brothers ever feel like that? Like as I grow and as I go, it seems like um, you get more attractive. <laughs> like you used to have to chase them down; now they're chasing you down. And what you think may be. You know what I'm saying? I'm the man. I've been doing my push-ups. I'm saying, brother, it, 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 all that. Could be warning signs that you are being drawn away. Where well, you feel like you are the man, but what you are is in danger of a fall. And it ain't got nothing to do with you in the sense of how good you look. It ain't got nothing to do with you in the sense of how attractive you are. There's a deeper spiritual reality going on that you are being caught up. And there's a trap. And it's because of your obstinance towards God and his obstinance back towards you that you get caught up. And that's why we don't play in these danger zones, especially dealing with this. This sexual sin is it's the most pervasive one. And it's also the most seductive one because it's slow and it happens and and it pulls you in and and it can end so bad. And we have to be on guard and it just gives us this picture that sometimes when you see and you read the story of the headline, prominent pastor of such and such church caught in this, 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 and this. And sometimes what you're not reading is a man, well, most of the time you're not reading a man who got caught up, slipped, What you mean a man who's been slipping and now he's been exposed? You mean a man who's been compromising in his way for a long time and now he's being exposed. And this is just the end result of a long, prolonged thing to where we see dude messed up. And man, how could he be like that? But if we had the divine commentary, if we were reading in the Bible, we would see pastor knocked down, caught into adultery, exposed ripped from his church for the Lord was angry with him because of how he dealt with the money of the people (laughs) because of how he and and if we had the divine commentary those may be some things that we get now we don't get that because we don't know that but those are real possibilities that that seduction that is taking place could be a sign that hold up something right going on in your heart check yourself warning Uh, it makes sense but here, the, the result of the falling is not, the result of the abhorrence is the cause of the fall, not because he fell. Which is, like I said, is a dangerous one. I had to sit there and, and, and pray and, and check myself out. That's why I'm always weary when I see great men fall and get caught up with that. I'm not quick to speak on it. Because to me, it's a warning sign. Because The only thing that separates them and me is the grace and mercy of God. So what I see is, God, please don't take your mercy away from me. Fifteen, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. And that's deep. So you have a little sweet, innocent baby that you got and it looks so precious and, and, and innocent and cool and all that. It's like deep down in that, that heart is foolishness. And that's what's in the midst of their heart. So that, that precious, pretty baby is a cuddly ball of foolishness. And it is your job to drive it away from him. And here he says the rod of correction. And it also gives us a better picture of this rod. It's not the rod of anger. It's not the rod of frustration. It's the rod of correction. You say it often. You don't beat the children because they did something you don't like. You beat them when they do something wrong. You don't beat them because they get on your nerves. Yeah, I'm frustrated. Because uh, you watching the, the view or the voice or whatever you watching and you couldn't hear it because they kept running around and uh, you throw a shoe and knock them across the side of the head. That's not the rod of correction. <laughs> he don't do that. It's the idea of when you discipline them, when you apply punishment to them, correcting what went wrong is the goal. And it's and pointing them towards something. That's the goal not just beating them down. And that's why in my mind, I try to and to ask God to help me have some standard. Like you don't get the same whipping for talking back to your mama as you do for being mean to your sister. Because I want you to understand them two different things. And I might just scold you for being mean to your sister. While I might scar you for being mean to my <laughs> wife. <laughs> Because I want you to understand the way this thing works. You understand what I'm saying. Now, that's an extreme example. But it's the idea of having a level. Because it's correction and we're trying to guide them in life. And I had this around his family. Like the boy was doing all type of foolishness and, and, and stuff going on. He had to look good. Sending him all type of crazy pictures in his phone. And the mama, oh, that's a, oh, look at him. He got the... But the boy one time came in musty. Like, it was a boy, like 13 years old, outside playing football, and he came in musty. She ready to knock his head off. I don't even remember. You, don't, you, you know, you know better. Like, the boy 13, and he been playing football. So you gonna knock his head off for being musty, cause you embarrassed, cause you think somebody's throwing it. Hey, we all know the boy stink. all our 13 year old boys stink. that's what they do. <laughs> <laughs> But when he out here playing and fooling around these little girls, it's something cute. And it shows a standard. Now, one of them going to break him and kill him. Oh, I ain't going to do nothing. Actually, it might happen. Gotta get them little girls up off of him. He might have some money when he grow up. <laughs> 16. He that oppresseth the poor to increase his riches, and he that give it to the rich shall surely come to want. Now, this is a deep one. So the one that oppresses the poor. So when you take advantage of poor people. To make yourself rich. We all understand that. That's evil. When you mistreat poor people. To make yourself rich. All of us are in agreement that that is evil. That should not be done. But here he gives us. This is what they call a synonymous parallelism. He parallels this with a synonym. And he that give it to the rich. So the way he worded it. The person who gives to rich people is the equivalent to the person who oppresses poor people. Now that's deep. How many of y'all will agree with that? That's a heavy one to think about. The people who take advantage of poor people to get rich and the people who give to rich people they are the same people. And he's saying both of them are going to come to want. And if we just let this sit for a second this really can blow our whole world up, especially us who grew up in the, in the church world and y'all folks who are watching them something be in network. Because the idea of religious training in a lot of circles is if you want to be blessed, what do you do? You bless. That's what, in, in, in church, that's how they teach us. And what do you give your money? You find what kind of ground to give it to. Y'all listen to them sermons. Them good ground, further ground. And who they told you is the good ground? The man on stage, the one who rich. So if you want to be a God to prosper you in your your business, you find a man who has prospered in his business and you sow into him. And the idea is you take your money and give it to the rich. And that's how you're going to one day be rich. That you take the man with the business. And you give him your money. And one day you're going to drive a Beamer, because the blessings of the Lord flow down. And you align yourself with him. The prosperity going to fall down on you. And, and that's what they told us. And what you have is people been giving to this dude driving a Bentley for years. And they still got to borrow $25 to buy a bus pass. like how that work and I tell you that work because the Bible is true he that give to the rich gonna be poor you gonna come to want that's what he's telling you so this gonna do the opposite of what you're trying to do these folks done trick you that you finna get rich by giving them money but the Bible told you you gonna get poor by giving rich people money and it's an amazing thing when we believe the preacher over the only pontentate Christ the king of heaven and earth Go ahead. Huh? That ain't what I said. That's your interpretation. Let me hear it again. <laughs> that's your interpretation. Let me hear it. Make sure y'all understand it. Go ahead. Yes, but the idea, if you buying that book because this is a blessing that going to equate blessing to me, you're wrong. Now, if you think there's some good information that I could benefit from, and it's the only way I can get it, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But if you I'm giving to the man of God, I'm, I'm gonna buy his book because one day I want people to buy mine. And this is how I know I'm gonna get my book sold. So I'm sowing into his book ministry. Create room for no. That's not what you do. <laughs> you sow into your book ministry by learning how to write. <laughs> <laughs> so, but if you want to sew into your book manager, buy a course on grammar and syntax and narratives, and that's what you do. That's how you sow into it but that's that's the idea. We don't give to rich people trying to get rich. But if you want to give your money somewhere, give it to poor and don't let them folks fool you and when y'all be watching that athon and you're getting your head hyped up. Just taking that a-thon, going to take a ton out of my pocket, and I'm going to be broke. Yeah, all them a-thons. Give a-thon, praise a-thon, and whatever other thons you got. Listen a thumbs. Anybody got any questions? We're going to pause right there.